Hey guys, Cade Wilcox here, host of the Primitive Podcast. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. We have Rodney Matson on. Rodney is the founder and CEO of Germblast, a really cool company. Been building it over the last 10 to 15 years. A really fascinating time for them is as they, um, you know, they're scientists. And, and so this whole time of COVID and serving businesses. So it's really fun to hear about his journey where they identified a problem, you know, years ago and then create an entire business around solving that problem. I really appreciated some of his insights on leadership. And uh, one of the things I, I probably enjoyed the most about this episode was Rodney's a really great dad. So he's a 15 and 18 year old son. And it was fun for me hearing his story and in, in, in the way he talked about his family. So you're gonna enjoy this episode. Thank you for listening to the Primitive Podcast. Um, share the episode with your friends. Help us grow the podcast. We really appreciate it. One of the things I've, it's kind of this mantra that I give my boys all the time is uh, do the hard stuff first. Whether it's talking about homework or we're talking about working out for football or, or whatever, to do the hard stuff first, that by itself will make you unique, right? Because people are trying to get the easy stuff out of the way just to knock something out, right? Well, do the hard stuff first and everything else seems very, very easy. Uh, Rodney, thanks for joining the Primitive Podcast. Really, uh, really appreciate it. It's been really fun. I, I think I've uh, met you probably four or five years ago and your business was really starting to take off and our business was really starting to take off. And uh, you know, what you do at Germblast obviously is a you know, real relevant and pertinent thing, you know, where we're at in this kind of cultural societal moment. So it's really uh, fun to have you on the podcast. Really appreciate you joining us and can't wait to, to learn from you. Yeah, it's my pleasure being here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate that. So why don't we start by, uh, yeah, just tell people who, who, is, who is Roddy Madsen and, and what is Germblast and what do you do? And let's start, let's start there. Yeah, um, Rodney Madsen, I'm the CEO of Germblast. Um, I have two boys, a wife I've been married to for 24 years. Uh, my boys are 15 and 18 years old. Got one about to graduate this year. What's that feel like? Oh my gosh! Yeah, you know, it, it, people tell you, but you just can't. You just can't know until you experience it. Yeah. I will tell you that the hardest thing is probably what everyone would imagine. It's, uh, you know, he won't be at home. Right. You know, and he won't be there just to have that conversation. But it's fun. It's fun. Uh, we've been doing a lot of college uh, trips, and and he's been kind of evaluating where he wants to go. Uh, so I think he's kind of narrowed it down to a couple, three, and okay. uh, and it, they're all great places, and I'm looking forward to kind of living that experience with him. Yeah. The 15-year-old's probably like, I am about to be the only child. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he is, but he's also, you know, there, over Christmas we had this uh, – we had this uh, conversation. It was just the three of us, actually. We went to we went to Jackie's uh, family's house, and they went out for a walk. Um, and uh, so the boys and I were at the house together. And and Tyler made mention, you know, that hey, this is really our, this is kind of our last Christmas as you know a one unit, a right. family, you know, and and uh, which not necessarily true, but but that's how he felt. Did you and start so, to feel it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's weird uh, not to go down a rabbit hole here, but. Uh, my, I have a twin brother, and his son is about to graduate from Lubbock Cooper, and uh, and he's not even my son, but we've been, you know, we've been around each other since he was born, yeah. And like he, you know, is about to go, hopefully, go play college football, and so it's just, and I feel the emotion of it all, and it's weird, and it's like, well, that's a long ways. What if he gets homesick? And then we're all collaborating, like, well, I'll go one week, and you go one week, yeah. and the mom and dad can go one week, oh, and it's man. like you, you, you know, you're like. I don't know. It's a weird feeling. And he's not even mine. So I told my <laughs> wife, I'm in huge trouble when Salek turns 18. I'm like going to be a mess and I'm like a control freak. So, you know, I'm going to have to figure this out. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, so I won't, I won't, I'll spare you all the, uh, <laughs> you, you already know, you already know kind of how those things are going to work. Yeah. But yeah, it, it is exciting, but also a, a bit depressing. For yeah. sure. Yeah. No, I get it. So yeah. tell us about Germ Blast. 
Yeah, Germblast uh, started. Uh, so uh, Josh Underwood is a partner of mine uh, in Germblast. We started a company back in 2006 called Dermacare. Okay. And Dermacare was a wound care company. We had a, a unique technology that we were utilizing that kind of helped heal chronic wounds. Mm-hmm. And through that process, uh, we kept hearing these things um, when we were in hospitals about healthcare care. Because we were asking, why did all these infections happen? I mean, they were pretty, pretty horrible. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we, were, we were hearing this term, healthcare-associated infections, or back then they, 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 were, they uh, said hospital-acquired infections. So we started looking into that, and, and what we learned was at the time there was about 1.7 million infections like that every year. So you go to a hospital for some procedure and, and you leave with an infection. And, uh, and, and then of those 1.7 million people, 99,000 people would die from those infections. Yeah, and so, so that number, that statistic was pretty steady for, for, as, for as far back as you can look at it, maybe 10 years. And we're thinking, why, why isn't the problem better, right? Why, why is it happening? So kind of going down that road, Josh and I literally flew all over the country, and we went to different infection preventionists. Um, at hospitals, and they would talk to us. A lot of them, you know, obviously were busy or they, they couldn't talk to us. But but those that we spoke to, we saw some some similar issues, some similar problems that, that kind of reared their ugly heads. We learned also that it really wasn't a – it's, it's kind of unfair to call them hospital-acquired infections because the it's a, the, the inference is the hospital did something wrong. Mm-hmm. But what we learned was um, th- there was a multitude of things, including maybe patient uh, – uh, things that, that that actually made that happen. And so we said, okay, well, well, why isn't there a fix? But at the same time, there was some legislation that was proposed that would uh, incentivize hospitals to do better, right? Um, really, it would penalize hospitals for doing poorly, <laughs> right? And, and that actually, there, there was hospitals that believed that wouldn't happen and it, it wouldn't come to fruition, and there were others that were being proactive. Uh, okay, if this happens, we need to do something about it. Ultimately, it did happen, mm-hmm. and... Um, and so hospitals, for not just this, but many other things, like get, uh, I guess you can call it, penalized in their revenue. Mm. Um, and that hurts. I mean, they, hospitals don't make a big profit yeah, margin, unlike people margins. think. Yeah, very, very small. And so, um, so we said, okay, what if, what if we came up with some program based on all this knowledge we now have, uh, these studies that we've done, and, and provide a program that can help them reduce this, this issue? Because before that, it's not like hospitals um, – were derelict. It wasn't. It's not like that. But it wasn't a focus because, um, you know, infections happen, right? And so they happen for a multitude of reasons. And when they happen, we just address it. We fix it, right? Um, but when that pendulum swings the other direction to, you know, hey, you're going to be penalized. Some people, especially rural community hospitals that don't have resources, they were like, "What do we do? How do we do this?" Right? And so we felt like we we had enough information to produce this thing. Um, and uh, we did, and I, w- I was so sure and so confident based on our research that this is beneficial to hospitals, uh, well, any healthcare facility, but hospital, anywhere you would stay overnight, right. um, it could be beneficial, right? And so we, we put this thing together, and we launched it, and, you know, the first year, nothing. Mm. <laughs> I mean, it was, we, and we put a lot of, we put a lot of effort. We built software, and we came up with all this, and so the second year was better, but it was still close to nothing. And we looked at each other, Josh and I, and we said, okay, is this going to work? I mean, is this really something the, the market's ready for? Perhaps we're just crazy, you know, and this is not something that's going to work. But I told him, I said, uh, we need to press forward. If for nothing else, we've got way too much money invested in this and too much time. <laughs> I'm, to I'm, 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 yeah, I feel, I feel like it's going to work. It's just something that people are going to need. And there was at some point this, 
awakening, you know, that, okay, yeah, we get it. And there were some, some forward-thinking, innovative hospitals that said, and I'm not talking small, there were some big ones right here in Lubbock, as a matter of fact, one in particular that, that took a, a leap of faith and said, hey, I, I think that you guys are onto something, let's try it out. And we did it, and there was some significant results. Uh, outcome, results, right. So the, the, the thing ultimately became Germblast. Our company is actually called Infection Controls, and so we're, but we're best known by our, our process right. name. And so fast forward to today, uh, I can't even tell you how many healthcare facilities we're in. And I mean, across Texas, New Mexico, Oklahoma, um, and we have school districts, about 150 school districts to include Dallas and Houston awesome. and El Paso, just big, you know. And, but the key for us is uh, being preventative, right? It's not something that you just, just react to. You should look into how can I prevent this from happening in the beginning? And the challenges are great. We started this back as infection controls back in 2009, and look where we're at today. Right. You know, so the story that we've been telling people about being preventive um, is now very, very applicable. Right. Yeah. It, it, have you found that um, a lot of what you've developed over the last, you know, 20 years, 15 years, as it relates to prevention, is applicable to the current situation we're in with COVID? Absolutely. Or is it, it is? So well, it is. I mean, think about it. I mean, it, it kind of depends on what your belief system is. Um, and I, I, you know, based on research, we do tons of research. But, I mean, think about it. Uh, one of the things that we do for our clients is, it, we, when you, you hear germ blast, a lot of people have this impression, oh, these are glorified janitors, or we just, we blast germs, right? And, and to some degree, that's true. But, but there's so many pieces to the program that people don't know or see until you actually, uh, you know, hear what it is that we have to offer. And, and in a lot of ways, germ blast, uh, while it's a cool name, it actually hurts us because it, it doesn't give the full you know, gamut of what it is that we provide. But if you think about today's situation, how before we had a vaccine and we don't really even know what the results of that going to be, what were we being told to do in an effort to reduce this transmission? Right. Yeah. So we were being told to, to engage in certain behaviors, right? So, you know, wash your hands, clean your environment, wear a mask. And, uh, and, and those are the, that's one of the very things that we teach our clients. You know, based on research, these are the behaviors that you can engage in that will help you reduce the likelihood for infection. But right now, or, or before we came into the picture, uh, when you think about it from a, pre, uh, a prevention standpoint, um, what did people do? Well, if, if you had a staff outbreak in your locker room, you just threw bleach all over the place, mm -hmm. right? But you didn't do anything until there was a problem, right? But what if we said, um, you don't have to have that kind of a problem, at least, at least you know, when you look at the number, the quantity, the volume, the prevalence of, of an infection. So maybe staff's not that scary to you because you never had it. But if you have MRSA, uh, which is a antibiotic resistant staff, right? If you have that, it could be scary, mm -hmm. right? And, and people can die. So if I started giving you numbers of what that looks like, I'm not a fear monger, but if it was your child, what would you do? What would you want to do in order to prevent that, right. uh, you know, likelihood? So... Um, there are a lot of things that are happening today that you can circle back and say everything that we do from, from gathering data in the environment to providing ways, um, we call it a public health campaign for our clients uh, on, on ways it can reduce infection. And then also systematically and routinely disinfecting the environment to keep those, those levels low, providing education. Those are all applicable to today, right? And, and if we were doing things... Um, that were preventive in nature from the very beginning, we might see less prevalence, 
um, which obviously would translate into, you know, less severe injury, less time in the hospital, and less fatality, mm. right? And so um, we just bring to the to the table what other people um, are not necessarily thinking about day to day. It just right. it just happens when it's an emergent issue. So a couple of uh, questions on this for you. First of all, I think I love when you hear a, a origin story of a business that was born out of need and necessity. Like you saw a problem and you sought out to fix that problem. And a lot of great businesses that that's how they're birthed. So it's a really cool story about how you and Josh saw saw a need. And you met the need. That's right. And it's also really cool to hear about your perseverance and tenacity because it, it is really, it, it's easy to quit things after a couple of months of difficulty, much less a couple of years. So props to you on, on your tenacity and no, no doubt has contributed to your success. Ha, I don't mean to be too broad or too generalist, but most of us want quick fixes, not, you know, behavioral changes. Yeah. And what I hear you saying that really makes what you guys do unique is like you're not you're not just killing a germ, although you can do that. You're trying to, you know, change behavior and create solutions on the front end to be proactive versus reactive. Do you find that really difficult, uh, you know, dealing kind of with, you know, I don't know if it's American culture or society or the way people think, whatever you want to call it, but does that make your job really difficult? Oh, Because it's yes. not microwavable. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a behavioral change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually there's, you know, there's behavioral theory, you know, coming from the public health sector and studying public health, you know, there is, uh, there's this theory called the health belief model, right? And it's basically, um, when you're talking about an event, COVID is a good example, before it spread like it did, right? Right. Um, What people were thinking, uh, and here in the United States, when it was in Wuhan, was how susceptible is our country to that really, right? Or if I were to get it, um, um, is there is it going to be bad? Because I we have a I mean, you think about it. If you th- think about a third world country getting an outbreak like that versus the United States, people in the U.S. say, well, if I do get sick, I have a healthcare system that can support me, and that affects the way that we behave, mm-hmm. right? And so, like uh, washing hands, right? That's that's we talking about that a minute ago. If I do get sick, you know, then then somebody can fix me, so I'm not so worried about washing my hands. But the the uh, the opposite of that is if I were in Africa in an area where I have a huge Ebola outbreak and I have an opportunity to wash my hands or bleach my hands, I'm going to do it because I know that it's life or death, right? And so uh, when we're out promoting what it is that we, especially in the, in the early days, we're out there really selling something that people didn't really know they needed. It made sense in concept, right? But they've never done it before. So if I said... So I, I come to this, with this idea, this thing that I think that they need based on the research that we did, and they look and they say, sounds like a good idea. Where does that go on the budget, right? Where, where do I take away from to put this in? What can I replace it with, right? And there, there wasn't anything because it's not something that they've ever done or considered. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the, it's what we fight with every day, right? It, it's the reason why... Um, people don't wash their hands. I mean, why wouldn't you wash your hands? Why would you walk into a restaurant and walk straight out? I mean, it only takes you 20 seconds, yeah. right? So why wouldn't you simply wash your hands? Yeah. It's the health belief model, right? right? And so I, I promise you, if you knew, if you were certain that there was going to be a negative consequence for not washing your hands, you would do it, right? But we have this this thing inside of us that says, don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah. It's a fascinating psychological thing. You know, Again, I've, now I'm going down a rabbit hole, but I guess it's my podcast. I can do yeah, what I do want. Whatever you want to do. But 
it's like this idea of like, okay, to prevent heart disease, I'm not a doctor. Okay, everyone, I'm not a doctor. Okay, but to prevent heart disease, you know, you know, walk four or five times a week, eat real food, get good sleep, you know, or just pop a pill, you know, yeah, right, and live exactly. however the heck you want. Yeah. And it's just like behavioral change is really difficult. And uh, anyway, it's complex. And you go back to COVID and then you have all the information flying at you. You have the, the character, characteristics of an independent you know, spirit and, uh, you know, having your own opinions. You have all the things you're talking about. What a gigantic mess it is. <laughs> it's it a is. a big mess. And, and there's, there's the information um, that's coming at people is, is, is just fraught with bias. Right. And, and we hear one day from an organization, wear a mask, and another organization says, don't wear a mask. And, and so there's so much, uh, there's not really a consensus on, right. on things. Everyone has an opinion, and they can all say it's based on science. We can all look at the same evidence, by the way, and come up with – we can argue two different opinions based on the same evidence. And uh, it's just really confusing for people. And so what we try to do is kind of eliminate some of that confusion so we can make a decision a little bit easier to make. Yeah, no, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of, like, all of a sudden companies just, like, pop up trying to take advantage of the moments. Like, they have this new application, and they're just going to come in and spray it on everything. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, maybe some of that works. But the, the, what really is fascinating about your model is that it's really much more in-depth than that. It's based on research. It's based on analysis. It's based on behavioral change, not just kind of a microwavable approach of just spraying a bunch of stuff down. Right. So it's pretty fascinating what you've done. So, you know, your your real background and skill set sounds, you know, have heavy research, science, analysis, uh, in, in all the things that that means. So I was asking you this question a little bit before we started recording, but how do you balance, you know, your bent and, and your skills with research and analysis and science and all that? with leading an organization and building a company because they, they're, they're really kind of different different things. So right. how, how have you tried to balance that as your company's grown and you re- wear this role of both leader and CEO, but clearly someone who knows the science, who does the research, and I assume enjoys it or else you wouldn't be doing it. Right, exactly. So how do you well, balance Well, you know, that? I can tell you this. It, it, being a researcher um, it, or being the lead researcher, it doesn't make you necessarily the best leader, Right. right? Um, and so you can be one and not the other. It doesn't mean I'm going to, just because I have this idea, it doesn't mean I should be the one leading the team. Right. And so, but being a researcher as well, I also research leadership and, uh, in a lot of ways, you know, throughout my life, and I've had some, some people who have modeled this for me or maybe modeled the way not to do it. Um, that, uh, it just so happens that I'm, I'm lucky enough to be that guy that can, that can be both. I'm not saying that I can do it, um, you know, there's probably a limit to what it is I sure, can or can't sure. do. I and mean, there is a limit. Um, but I have been able to so far. So a long time ago when I started my first company and um, we started looking at some legal issues, uh, you know, a lot of people go online and, and do a legal document online, right? Well, I realized I'm not a legal guy mm-hmm. and I'm not an accountant and finance things are not my cup of tea. So I have to bring people on board who can do that for me, whether they were my uh, team or whether it was somebody that I outsourced that to. I'm not going to try to be a lawyer, nor am I going to try to be an accountant. And so uh, what I have done, and, and you, ha- you kind of have to, as an entrepreneur, you have to uh, do this in a measured way because uh, you, you can't just go out there and hire everybody that you think you may need five years from now. But I do look at it in, a, in the future tense. So, so when I know, I know where we're going and I operate from the perspective that we're going to get there, right? So if I know we're going to get there, I take, I'll take a little bit more risk in hiring people in advance 
so that um, we can accomplish the goal and we can satisfy the need at the time instead of instead of getting to that moment and say, oh my goodness, we need a we need a chief science officer. What are we going to do, right? And so early on, I, I started bringing those type of people on, and so it's been it's provided me the ability to create a research team, even though I'm a researcher, uh, so that I have people helping me in that regard. And likewise, um, bringing on other leaders who are awesome at leading so that they can help me with that. I don't have to be the absolute expert. Uh, we bring people on who, who are great at something and allow them to be great. And um, so it's not me. It's yeah. the team. Just like you uh, with your For business sure. here. You have a lot of great people, a lot of amazing thought thinkers here mm -hmm. and, and uh, creative uh, people. And without them, you couldn't do it. It's the same thing. And it's not luck. It's not. I mean, you got to be purposeful about, you know, what your deficits are and and fill those deficits uh, with with great people and just let them do their thing. Yeah, that's really good. When you think about your your role as as leader and CEO, what what kinds of things do you really focus on in terms of contributing your your strength? So so absolutely 100% agree with you. Building a team is the single greatest thing a leader can do because you know they're they're more talented and better and more effective at certain things than you are. So so aside from that, like. What are the two or three things that are really critical in your mind for your leadership role specifically? Vision, yeah. or is it, sure. is it the details in the organization? Like, what are your your focuses as I a mean, leader? You mentioned so many things right there that kind of really encompass what it is that I do. First of all, um, not a new concept and, and not unique to, to – it's not something that we – uh, discovered on our own, whether people locally, there's a great company. I know you know these folks at ROI Talent, um, but uh, I was thinking prior to having met them uh, through through somebody in our company that um, to create an environment in your in your company, a culture in your company that allows people to flourish. Don't ask somebody to do something that they're not good at, right? And that's what a lot of that's what a lot of companies do when you're when you're evaluating an employee. You say these are your deficits, and this is what you need to do better. And accountability, right? Well, the word accountability, and which by the way is this year is 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 our term is self accountability, not accountability. But accountability is just a way for for you know leaders to to shift blame, right? You you didn't do X great. But if you are having them do a job that meets their strengths, they're going to be awesome, and they're going to love what they do. And there's nothing that you can do or say to them that will make them better than they can make themselves. Right. And that's what we allow to happen in our company. Uh, likewise, I'm the same way. So I, I am, um, believe it or not, I'm an introvert. And the eight of my top ten strengths in the Gallup uh, are, are all strategic, huh. right? And so I'm not the guy that's out there. Uh, the face of, of germ blast. I just am not that guy. I, I do well in presenting, but when I do it, um, I'm, you know, I'm spent. <laughs> right, I am spent. So so I, and I would I would do that. You know, I would, so we have lots of clients that I need to go visit, and you know, our sales team. You know, the clinical stuff is me, and and so I'll go do that. But when I'm done, you know, I'll present to a hundred people. But when I'm done, I need to just chill out. Yeah. You know, and so I recognize that about me, and I try not to do that a lot because. When, I'm, when I do things I'm not great at, it takes away from my ability to do things I'm really good at. And so our, our, if, if, if you look at it like a scrum board, right, where you have all of these tasks that, that a company is supposed to do, and more specifically that Germblast is supposed to do, instead of saying, here's your job description, do these 10 things, 
we say who is best suited based on the strengths to do this thing, right? And that they would love it. And so um, I, I, I believe, and of course I'm this is my own biased opinion, but I believe people tell you that um, they love what they do. And when they wake up in the morning, if you have to go to work, they say, at least I get to go work at Germblast because we've identified, uh, and we're not expert at this. It's, sure. just, it's an evolving thing, right? But they say, uh, I, I, feel, I feel like I'm getting out of work what I'd expect to get out of work, right? And so um, that has worked very, very well for us. Yeah. Um, but it's not easy to get there because it's a whole different way to think. Right. And I think there's a trend moving that direction. But um, if, if I hope so, yeah, yeah, Leanne, Leanne and Joy are amazing, and, and really uh, if you're listening to this podcast and you're a leader, uh, you really you really should explore and, and contextualize it for your own business. But really, you should you really should explore strengths based leadership and let Leanne and Joy help you get there. Uh, we, we were so committed to it, you know. Now we have Annie, who's our chief of staff, and like it's what she does. And uh, I always uh, I always say she was our best business decision we ever made. Uh, anyway, it's just it it really is uh, it's worth it, and it's exciting to hear. I, I didn't know y'all had done that. Yeah, I didn't know you had worked we, with them. Yeah, we even we even focusing. We on even that. have somebody who now is certified. That's awesome. Right? Yeah, it's and, really cool. And so uh, yeah, Amanda Bullen, she's certified now, and uh, and she's doing that with all of our team, everybody yeah, on, on every level. Um, and yeah, Leanne and Joy, you want to you want to see how much you don't know as a leader in right. your company. Talk to them one <laughs> That's time. Right. That's right. Yeah. They're so gifted. They really are. And it's so exciting. I I did not know y'all were doing that. And frankly, there are not a lot of companies I interact with that are doing it. I mean, there are a lot of companies who say culture is important. There's a lot of companies who who really do seek the the well being of their people. So it's not like there's a lot of bad companies at it. I have not met very many companies, though, that are really intentional about it, that they have someone on their team like you do and like we do who say, no, no, this is so critical to our people and their good and their well-being and therefore the ultimate success of the company that they would they would allocate resources and energy to setting it up like Absolutely. you Absolutely. So I, I awesome. would say to you it's a detriment to you if you don't look at that. I agree. You will never recognize your full potential. By the way, I'm not saying that we have, and I'm not saying we will, right? right? But I do know just based on our experiences so far, um, You're reaping I'm, the benefits. Oh, of it. absolutely, hundred percent. It certainly prepared us for three hundred percent growth last right. year. You know what I mean? Has it? Uh, have you found that it's changed your entire approach to just the practical way that you hire, like your even your process of hiring? You know, it's so funny because I I brought this up with Leanne and Joy when we first. I said I would love to say these are the things that we need. Are these are our deficits, and then based on that, what strengths do we need in somebody in order to hire for that position? I think logically you can do that. But 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 you can't you can't do it that way right and so well you know, at least what's that's what they say in theory I'm not certain that you sure. can't but but you know that being said um, I I think it's because even, even I don't think you fully recognize somebody's potential nor do they recognize their own potential for your specific business until they're in there working so what we've done is we've said when when we find somebody amazing when we find somebody who you just know they they exude excellence right. You bring them on, and you figure it out later, right? I know that sounds crazy because, you know, I, I got these deficits. I don't know if that person's going to fit, so I might be hiring somebody for nothing, right? But that's not true because if you think about a standard organization, right, and you bring in these folks, how, how efficacious are they being doing something that they really don't like or love, right? But um, somebody who's excellent you can't you can't train that you can't right you, you can't when you find that characteristic you need to bring it on board I've, I've done it so many times I've told people 
in fact, I just, you know who you are. <laughs> I, I just talked to a, a lady recently and I said, we're talking because I know you're excellent. What am I going to do? I don't know. I don't know what you're going to do. We're going to find that out together, but I know you're excellent and I want you here, right? And so um, we, we do that a lot. And that's, you, you have been up to our corporate office, but, but go there now because, the, I mean, everybody has that similarity about them in our organization. A lot of people listening to this are going to go, well, that's a huge risk, you know, not to know what their role is going to be and not going to be, you know, what is their work going to be. But I think it's a greater risk to hire someone that's not fit for the role, that you think's for the role, and then they get there and it's not life-giving. Their strengths do not align well with the, what, what the role was intended to do. And so I, I, love, I love what you're saying. And if, if it were up to me, we'd hire 100 people a month, <laughs> like yeah, whether we had the money sure. or not. Yeah. Because, because, you know, great people make great things happen. And so, man, this is super exciting. I, I've just not met a lot of people who have, who have really taken it serious in terms of implementation. Yeah. And so it's really cool to hear you really experiencing the same fruits we are uh, you know, trying, you know, like you said, striving to do this. It's not ever going to be perfect, but it has been the single greatest impact on our success by a large margin. Mm-hmm. And um, and I, I really believe that to be true of any organization if, if, if you really, really see it that way. Yeah, and you said it best. It, it feels and it seems like a huge risk. It seems like a big investment up front. It seems like, you know, you're chasing, uh, you know, a dream, you know, that, that may or may not ever happen. But like you said, I, I think that it's a greater risk not doing it. I agree. And that's hindsight. Right. You know what I mean? I, sure. I probably pushed back on it for years, you know, and, and finally, once you make that leap, you realize this is the only way to go. Yeah, it's really great. How do, how do you view failure? You know, when you think back on your 10 to 15 years of business and, you know, you think of things that work, you think of things that haven't, like, how, how do you approach failure personally as a leader? Yeah. You know, um, this is going to sound... Uh, odd coming from somebody who's a science-based person, but I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a huge believer in mindset. And so I can, early on, when I first became an entrepreneur um, and, you know, looking at a scale, I think, man, you know, th- what I worried about back then, <laughs> you know, I wish I had those problems today. Yeah. But I remember, um, you know, there's, you know, I've, I've got, you know, an MBA. And so, you know, all MBAs, we think we know it all and coming out of school. <laughs> And so I started this business and I thought I was well prepared and, you know, and things were going great. We could sell anything and everything, but there's this, you know, magic thing called cash flow, you know? <laughs> and uh, so we got in a tight spot. We were, we were a medical equipment company, we relied heavily on Medicare. And if, uh, and everyone who's hearing this, uh, you know, when I say Medicare, they know exactly what I'm talking about. And I didn't prepare for that. I didn't know about that. It wasn't really my, my, I didn't have that knowledge when I came into it. And so there was a, um, there was a couple of months where I'd find myself, uh, you know, I, I, what have I done? You know, I, I put my family's life on the line and the people who are working with me, um, you know, their lives, livelihood is on the line. And I, I'm in the closet at 2 a.m., you know, praying because my wife, I don't want my wife to know how stressed out I am and, and, and depression and I mean, major, major depression. Um, but that, that all came to an end. I mean, things finally worked out and, 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 uh, I have a good friend, um, who was telling me this for, for a long time, especially back at that time, is, you know, all the problems we have, they're just temporary. And most businesses fail because of a temporary problem. Um, I, I credit that, by the way, to Jerry Vance, just, just anybody who wants to know. But, but anyway, it's, it's a temporary problem. Uh, I, I didn't feel that at, at, the, at the beginning. But I will tell you, having come through on the other side of that and experiencing that stress and that depression 
and um, and just the the business experience by itself. I think um, looking back on that um, that failure during that during that time is what I felt like as a failure. Mm-hmm. It um, it changes you. It it makes you better. It may, not not, callous, not in a callous way, but right. but but I've been there. I've felt it, and not only can I endure it again. But um, I can help others as well um, and, and help them understand about this problem being temporary. And about, I, that's not just a business. Pr- uh, uh, that's that's a life lesson, right? right? That most problems are temporary. Absolutely. And so, um, so I look at failure um, and I say, what an opportunity, right? Now, I'm not saying that I don't get angry or I don't get upset or it doesn't bother me. I don't stress about it. Sure, I do those things. But I think my perspective or the lens that I look through now when I see failure is way different now than it was back then. And as an entrepreneur, it has to be that way. And I feel like probably that's the reason why we see a lot of businesses uh, that don't make it through those statistics, right? Like five years, 10 years. You hear that all the time. Right. And I really feel like it's the reason why. You know, um, I, Believe me, I was there, and I was seeking help from everybody, um, you know, w- wisdom and, and knowledge and, you know, how can I fix this? Um, and then it was just it was just a, a moment that God used in my life to to, to really make this. I, I've never thought of you know all problems are temporary problems. It, you know it, it seems like you when you when you talk about mindset, it seems like that would really put things into perspective. Mm-hmm. You know that instead of kind of you know freaking out at the chaos, you go okay this is this is chaotic, this is difficult. You know calling it what it is, mm-hmm. but having a, a perspective that it, it will pass. Yeah. So we got to embrace it. We have to learn from it. We have to adjust where we need to. But this isn't a forever thing. Right. You know, I, I um, occasionally I'll teach a class at Wayland on leadership. And uh, one of the topics that I, that I teach on is the inverse law of sanity. Have you heard of this? No. Okay, yeah. So, so basically, um, leadership is easy when uh, things are good, right? right? When, <laughs> when you know, you're growing like crazy and everybody's loving your company, things are good. When things get tough, right, the, the inverse law of sanity says that uh, people who have been immersed in chaos, that have been... That have been through uh, troubling times, that even are borderline psychopaths even, right? They are the better leaders. And if you think of that, you know, you could probably come up with a half a dozen people that you've known from history that are just like that. You know, Patton and Churchill, mm-hmm. Lincoln, Martin Luther, Martin Luther even. So um, I would say to you, um, in order to be the best leader you can, you got to experience that kind of stuff. So that in, in the hard times... Um, you see, you are seemingly calm, mm. right? Uh, when when things are tough and people are going crazy, people that you're leading, you know, they're seeking, you know, your confidence. You can be that because you're not freaking out. And sometimes it means experiencing it first, so you can see what it looks like. It's really good. I I had never heard that that phrase, but you know, you, even those leaders you just mentioned. I mean, it's it's unequivocally true. Uh, it, it's not that all people who have served in the military are great leaders, but a lot of them are. And it seems to align with kind of that idea that they, they, they you know, you think of Jocko Willenick, for example, yeah, yeah. or Tim Kennedy, Green Bray, like they're high, high, high functioning leaders. And they've been tested in ways that, you know, us normal folks will never be tested. Run to the bullets. That's right. right. That's exactly. Right. That's yeah, right. it's crazy. That's really good. I'm glad you shared that. How do you view your approach to your own personal growth? You know, as a leader, you're constantly thinking about your people. You're thinking about their growth. You're thinking about the organization's growth. You're solving problems for clients. All, all things that are natural to, to being the leader. But how do you personally, you know, kind of put that aside and focus on, you know, Rodney? How do, how do you approach your own personal growth? Well, I mentioned to you um, 
that I'm getting my doctorate, right? I, I keep saying that. So it seems, seems to me like, you know, that's a, I don't know if I'll ever finish, you know, it's just one of those <laughs> things that keeps on going. But uh, uh, you have to invest in yourself. And so um, the, the, the busyness, um, that can stand in the way and be an obstacle for you to do that. It's so easy to say, um, you know, I got too much to do today to do X, right? And so um, you, you, have to, you have to invest, and that could be listening to podcasts, that could be, um, you know, reading a book or, you know, watching something on YouTube. I, I try to do all of that. I try to, to uh, you know, I'll, I'll hear something during the day that I'm just not that knowledgeable about, and I'll say, I need to know more about that. And I'm just crazy like that. But, but, but in terms of, um, of leadership, you know, I, we, we mentioned it earlier, you know, I am a scientist who is also a leader. So it's so easy to just kind of default back to the science side of things, but I have to invest in myself uh, so that I can be the leader that the people around me need me to be. And so that, there's, a, there's a lot of surrounding yourself with mentors or, or, or people who can uh, provide you with a perspective that you didn't have on your own. Uh, I, do that, I do all of that, uh, you know, having coffee once a week with somebody and, and sharing thoughts and ideas and uh, those are things you just have to do. Now, sometimes that may mean waking up at five o'clock in the morning <laughs> right. to get it done. Right. But uh, you have to do it. Yeah. And no, so, that's yeah. good. So, is your like what's your go-to kind of learning source? You you mentioned uh, podcasts. You mentioned YouTube. Like, do you have a preference? Do you like reading? Do you like audiobooks? Are you a podcast guy? I mean, what practically speaking, what what are some of the things you enjoy? Well, I do have coffee every week with uh, folks, and um, and I, I get information from them. They get information from me. I love doing that face to face. Um, in addition to that, I do listen to podcasts. My podcasts typically are occasionally I'll listen to something that's uh, leadership or, you know, I, I like Simon Sinek and Seth Godin yeah. and, um, you know, Jocko. I, I like I like all those things. I and mean, I, I listen. But uh, I, the, the ones that really jazz me up are the, the science ones. Yeah. <laughs> I, I listen. To my, my favorite is. Uh, well, there's two. There's a uh, there's uh, uh, J Dog MD, uh, Dr. Demania. He, he's awesome. And then um, this podcast can kill you. Okay. Uh, and it's just a, a couple couple of ladies that uh, they go deep into different diseases. Wow. I know it's crazy. I'm, no, that's I'm great. I'm geeky like I, that. But I'm uh, laughing because like <laughs> I, I have to admit that those are not in my queue. You know, I, I like probably not going to be listening to. And it's really obscure information that nobody would probably care to hear. Yeah. But it's it's I think they're pretty. That's cool. really cool. So, yeah. That's really cool. My last question for you, and it's often my favorite, is you know if you could speak to your younger self, if you could go back 15, 20 years ago. And knowing what you know now, speak to your younger self. What advice would you give him? Well, um, I, I think I already do that. You know, to be honest with you, I do that daily because I've got two boys, mm. you know, and, and I'm trying to provide for them the learning lessons that I've had growing up. Um, so I want them to, to, to have, uh, you know, more and do more right. and know sure. more before, you know, they get a certain age. Now, whether or not they can can decipher that information well, it's, it's different. But we, we have these conversations all the time. And one of the things I think that, um, that resonates, that kind of a, uh, just a, a topic that keeps coming up for me to them is that think of yourself as your own manager, right? Because, because I always tell my boys, you control your thoughts. You control, um, you know, the things that you do day to day. I mean, only you can make yourself feel bad. Right. And so how do you talk to yourself? Right. So you're your own manager. And so ask yourself if you talked, if your manager talked to you this way, you know, he would probably be fired. Right. 
I mean, you, that's not leadership, right? You would, if you spend all of your time doing nothing, right, what, what would you say to an employee who did that? Right. Or if you were that if you were that employee, what would you say to that to yourself? And so um, the, the thing for me that I didn't have and I'm still learning, by the way, I mean, I'm I'm scratching the surface is this awareness. Right. You know, looking at yourself um, and saying, um, you know, how can I be a better me? You know, and if, are the things that I've done today or the or is, you know, is this situation that I'm in? Is is this beneficial or did I do something noteworthy, positive? Um, just just thinking from that perspective as opposed to letting life happen to you. It's mm, really good. Do they listen? Sometimes. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's funny because, um, you know, in the moment I would probably say no, but then I see glimpses of it. In fact, uh, I, I remember one of the things I've – it's kind of this mantra that I give my boys all the time is uh, do the hard stuff first, mm. right? Um, whether it's talking about homework or we're talking about working out for football or, or whatever – um, to do the hard stuff first, that by your, by itself will make you unique, right? Because um, it's seemingly you know people are are trying to get the easy stuff out of the way just to knock something out, right? Well, do the hard stuff first, and everything else seems very very easy. And one day um, I heard uh, my son, my younger son, say that do the hard stuff first. And in addition to that, um, it was so so awesome. My, my oldest son, um, he. I didn't know this about him. This is something he's been doing for a long time. I had no idea. He didn't tell me. And I don't know that he would have told me, except that it accidentally came up one day, that he ha- in his phone he has note a, n- a note that he keeps, and he has this running uh, uh, list of, of things that he thinks are wise that he heard from somebody or that he read. Wow. And so whether it was from his, his papa or whether it was from me or, you know, and he'll say who's, yeah. he, so he'll quote it and then he'll put next to it who said it. And then he was telling me this because one of his friends wanted to go to coffee with him one day and he had all of these, these issues and, and things. And so he went to his, his notes and started telling his, his friend these things, right? And uh, I thought that was awesome that, that he was a student enough to, to say, I need to, I need to make note of that, to actually make a note of that. And I think that's awesome. Um, and so I see things working, but I may not see it in the moment. Yeah. It's an investment. It is. And it, it, it's one of, for me, it's one of the harder parts about parenting. It's like, you know, not seeing the fruits of your life. I mean, you see the fruits of your labor. I mean, it, when they're respectful and, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of ways you can, you can know whether or not you got good kids or not. It's pretty clear. But I, I think for these, you said something earlier that on a parenting level, I really resonate with, and that's really wanting more for them. And I, I find that really being true of, of my teammates, too. Yeah. Like, I just want more for them. I, I want them to experience whatever it is for them. I want them to experience more of that. And I want that for my kids so bad. It's yeah. ironic we're talking about this because yesterday I was on the road for like eight hours. And, and so I'm on the phone, you know, the whole time to yeah. make it go by fast. And I had this like really great 45-minute conversation with my mom, like, you know, just uh, you know, remembering back all these you know, great memories and, and some challenging memories from growing up. And it just like it made me think about my own children's experience and, and how badly I want them to know self-discipline and how badly I want them to know what you just said. Do the hard thing first. Yeah. yeah. And and I want them to know, uh, you know, the benefits of them working hard and learning how to work. Like it took me forever to learn how to work. Right. And I don't want th- I don't want them. I don't want that for them. But you can't want something more for someone than they want it for themselves. That's true. And so making these like. I, what I appreciate something you were saying is just just make these little daily deposits. You right? just consistently invest in them, consistently invest in them. You know, you probably didn't think when your 18 year old was six 
you know, that you'd find out when he was 18, he was absorbing wisdom from, from you and others. And what a proud moment, yeah, you know? Exactly. And, and, but all you can do is make these like daily deposits. Yeah. You just one step, you know, er, one step in front of the other every day, investing in them, loving in them, you know, speaking into them, and then, you know, trusting God's providence, you know, that in the end, it's all going to shake out. <laughs> exactly. You know, that's leadership, to be honest with you. I mean, that you could sum it all up in a leader wants more for their people. You stretch them, you make them feel uncomfortable, uh, all so that they can be better. Yeah. And so yeah, I take solace in the fact that um, if my children don't learn all of my uh, from all of my mistakes in life, the the failures will make them better because they made me better. Yeah. So you, as a parent, you can't not want them to fail, right? It's just you want to you want to you want to minimize the risk, right? Right. <laughs> right. Sometimes it means falling flat in your face, yeah. and just know you said trust in God's providence, and yeah. so um, that happens. Yeah. And then all you can trust is it'll be good. Yeah. Something good will come from that, right? Yeah. And just be there. And be be present, be aware. Yeah. And um, you're a great dad. So if I if I run into any troubles, I'm just sending my two over to your house for a month. Okay, <laughs> Rodney Matson. Shoot, I I, uh, <laughs> I have my own faults. Trust me. Oh, yeah, sure. I'm sure we my kids do. can list them for you. Man, thanks for your time. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for sharing all that. Um, I appreciate really good. it. It's um, yeah, it's fun to learn from from someone. And so thanks for sharing all your insight. I appreciate you inviting me. Thank you very much. <laughs>